Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 113 of Conquering Columbus. This is Mike here, and I recently had the opportunity to speak on the Business of Podcasting panel at Startup Week Columbus. And if there's one thing I noticed, it's that a lot of people out there are interested in starting their own podcast, but aren't sure where to start. So we've decided to put together a podcast startup package with everything we've learned about building and growing a podcast to help you get there. You can pre-register for the Conquering Columbus podcast startup package now by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. Our next sponsor you might be slightly familiar with. You may recall a previous Conquering Columbus episode we did, episode number 26. We interviewed Stuart Crane, who bootstrapped his healthware software business to an eventual $43 million exit in 2013. Well, he's back at it with a new startup called Voice Metrics, based here in Columbus, Ohio. Stuart's new company got going last fall, and they've landed a number of customers, including Crosschecks, which is one of Columbus's high flying VC backed companies. Voice Metrics is a voice application available for Alexa, Google Assistant, and Siri that allows businesses to get their KPIs, metrics, and any business information just by asking. To give you an example of how this works, here's what it sounds like. Open Voice Metrics. Good morning, Robert. Our sales yesterday was $17,500, and we had 24 new signups. Website traffic is up 13%, and we are 82% to our monthly revenue goal. Have a great day. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more and check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. 
This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Gavin Myers joining us, and Gavin and his co-founder, Tim Ward, met at the Fisher College of Business and recognized an opportunity to bring a new kind of brewery to Columbus, one that focuses on the experience of brewing. And so in 2011, North High Brewing was born as Columbus' first and only brew-on-premise establishment where the customer is the brewmaster. And in addition to customers brewing their own beer, North High Brewing creates small batch, high quality craft beer that's served in their tap room, as well as at thousands of locations across the state. And in the past seven years, North High has become one of the most popular brands in the state. And we are very excited to have Gavin with us today. Welcome to Cochrane Columbus, Gavin. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and how's your day going so far? Not bad, not bad. Busy day, a lot of emails, a few meetings, Yeah. Yeah. a couple beers. Couple beers. Yeah, it's always a all, good time. We're here at the end of the day. Might as well. All in a day's work. North High. Yeah, I love I'm that. I'm trying song. out the grapefruit walleye here. Yeah. And I've actually never had it before, but I do love session IPAs. Well, so. I will anxiously await your uh, your feedback. So this is a session IPA, 4.5 percent ABV, 4.7 percent ABV, um, grapefruit juice. It's nice, uh, nice sessionable, crushable IPA. There is no walleye. <laughs> There's no fish. I never would have guessed. in the beer. <laughs> Mike's immediately disappointed. I know. I know. His favorite thing is liquid I really, walleye. No, I, I like that a lot. It kind of reminds me. I don't know. Like I'm from San Diego, so it reminds me of a sculpin. If you've ever yes. heard of those, yeah. Well, you know the sculpin's a fish. Right. Well, not and that. Not that fish. Yeah. So when we when we went to name, I told you when we went to name our grapefruit beer, we're like, uh, well, you know the sculpin's a fish. What's the state fish of the state of Ohio? Turns out there isn't one, so we named it the walleye. There you go. That makes a lot of Surprising. sense. Surprising. You would think it would be walleye, though. You're right. I mean, if there was a state fish, it would be it would be the walleye. And uh, so we named it the walleye. We actually had one of our retailers up in Cleveland. We just found this out a week ago. We got some emails from a customer saying, saying, uh, yeah, they were trying to talk me out of buying it because of the fish oil. Like, how much fish oil is in it? And I'm like, none. What are you talking about? <laughs> we didn't put and, any walleye. No, walleye were harmed in the making of this beer. It's named in <laughs> honor of the walleye. So we actually had to send one of our reps into the uh, into the store in Cleveland to re-educate them that, that is named after the fish, not as an ingredient. <laughs> so, so That's such an Ohio story. We've heard it all. Right. <laughs> so we're, we're deep into to liquid fish, and obviously your knowledge on beer is extremely extensive mm. um, from the way you just described that, but it probably wasn't always that way, so maybe we'll start back beginning and yep. talk about your childhood and yeah. work our way through there. Well, uh, my childhood was sadly devoid of beer. Uh, I did not drink my first beer, and this is a true story. Most people don't believe me when I say it, probably because I'm so good at drinking. But uh, my first beer was not consumed until I was a freshman in college at The Ohio State University. Uh, my childhood was was comfortable. It was not uh, it was not a wealthy upbringing. My dad was in the construction industry. My mom was a stay at home mom. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Hey, Emily and Ryan, and uh, we were we were brought up in a house in Hilliard. Went to Hilliard High School back when there was just one Hilliard. And uh, uh, you know, as an Ohio State fan, where else do you go? So I went to Ohio State. Uh, for the first of my probably six freshman years and started at Ohio State in 94 and I graduated in 06, 12 sweet years of undergrad, finished with a degree in economics. Hey, that's a good degree. It hey, takes hey, some years to get a degree in economics. So I got to ask. Usually a PhD, years, but... Like, 12 years, I mean, did man. You, did you go... I'm, I'm guessing, so what I'm thinking is like you just... 
went through and played three different sports and spent all four years of of your eligibility in those sports. That's right? one fun story. I think the better story is that uh, if you recall from earlier, I had my first beer as soon as I hit college, and I didn't stop for a little while. <laughs> and uh, so I would go for a quarter. And this is back when Ohio State was on quarters. I'd go for a quarter. I'd take two off. I'd go for another quarter. Take four off. Um, you know, and I was I was always working. And I got into banking. Did five years in banking and. I was always very impressed that here I was. I had all these friends going to college, and I had a nicer car than them. And then what I noticed after about five or six years was um, they were graduating, and uh, they were buying houses and moving on with their lives. And that's when I realized I got to get out of school. Mm -hmm. So that was when I switched my degree to to econ, which I found out was uh, not only what I was most interested in, but also was my quickest, quickest route out. I met my wife, Sarah, who is... She was uh, doing her undergrad at OU when I was managing a bar downtown Columbus. She was up in town, and I met her. And she's eight years younger than I am. And I'm like, all right, I got to beat her. If I can beat her out of school, then I'll feel good about myself. Uh, she still beat me by a quarter. Oh, man. <laughs> so what were you doing? Uh, what, like you mentioned a couple different banking jobs, yeah. like investment banking, personal banking. So it was personal banking, yeah. I was at the, I was at the grocery stores uh, for the majority of the time. There used to be a grocery store in Columbus called Cub Foods, and there was a bank in it called NBD, which was National Bank of Detroit. I did that for eight months, um, got my taste of it, and then NBD got bought by another bank, and I moved over to National City, which is also no longer around, in a grocery store called Big Bear, which is no longer around, and then moved into a Huntington Bank in a Kroger, which both of which, were, which are around. And I still bank with Huntington, and Kroger is our largest customer in the state. So talk about full circle, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, did a bunch of other stuff throughout the throughout the years. Wanted to try everything. Um, did did uh, a year in car sales, which was awesome. It was something I always wanted to do. Learn the learn the business. It, it seemed super shady and uh, fraught with uh, with experiences. And so I figured I'd, I'd give that a shot before I went back to school. Is it super shady and fraught with experiences? Uh, yes, I had many experiences, and I, uh, I but I, I emerged unshady, which is which was nice. I I ended up quitting that job to start bartending, and that's when I went back to school full time, and buckled down. And that was that was from uh, two thousand one to two thousand. Uh, no, I'm sorry, two thousand two to two thousand six was when I actually got in and started cranking it out. Throughout that process, did you have any like ambitions to eventually start your own business, or were you really focused on your career? Or were you kind of just enjoying the ride? And yeah, you happens? know, my my dad owned his own business. My brother owns his own business. Um, I think one of the one of the prevailing themes throughout my career as as an employee is that I'm not the best employee because I'm always looking for the next thing. I either want my boss's job before I'm ready for it, or um, you know, I'm just kind of impatient and I just want to experience a lot of things. Uh, so knowing that, um, one of the bits of recommendation I got from from somebody I consider somewhat of a mentor was was to get my MBA, uh, and and that's the thing. If you spend 12 years in undergrad, you feel like you've almost done it all. Well, why not get your master's? You know. So uh, my wife did her master's. I got into internet marketing. I was with a startup that ended up being very successful, which didn't land me any money, but it was exciting to be a part of. They ended up getting bought by eBay, and that was where I really got my got my uh, feet wet with internet marketing and then uh, from there I went to Stanley Steamer which is, you guys know Stanley Steamer their their headquarters in Dublin Ohio I ran their internet marketing team for a few years and applied to and was accepted to to do my MBA at Ohio State and uh, 
And that was, that was kind of what I saw as my next step toward figuring out what I want to do and starting my own business and also getting the confidence that it takes to, uh, cause clearly a life in education was not for me unless I wanted to literally spend all my time going to school. So I figured, uh, I figured, you know, meet people, network and, and learn how to further my career and then gain the confidence that it takes to start my own business. And back then I had no idea what industry that would be in. What was the internet marketing company? Uh, that was uh, the one that sold to so got got bought clear by sailing? eBay. Clear that? selling. Okay. Yeah. So you we know had those Mike guys. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. Yeah, Mike was the one. Mike yeah. was uh, uh, very much a mentor, and uh, Adam Goldberg, the founder. You know, Adam's an investor in my uh, brewery now. Uh, but yeah, Mike was just a great guy, Rhodes Scholar at Ohio State, and, and he was the one that wrote my letter of recommendation to the Fisher College of Business, and part of the reason I ended up getting accepted. So yeah, Mike's a great dude. Yeah. So so what year do you end up at Fisher? I started in, I, I actually applied in 08 and was accepted in 08, but I also got hired by Stanley Steamer at the same time, and I didn't want to start a new job and a new, a new uh, degree at the same time, so I actually deferred my uh, MBA by a year, and I started in 09, which, which uh, ended up being very fortuitous, because if I hadn't deferred for a year, I wouldn't have met Tim, huh. uh, my co-founder. So. And, and how did you guys end up meeting? So we were, you know, when you're, when you're in the working professional program, all your classes are in the evening, everybody goes through the same core classes, um, you're typically in class like two to four days a week, and as you're going through, as you're going through the classes, you end up just kind of meeting like-minded people, you, you socialize after class and things. So after my first year, Tim started, and we ended up doing some group work together, got to know each other pretty well, and we had a one-year overlap in the program. And then he, I think three quarters after I graduated, he graduated. And, and Tim was an engineer at Honda. And I didn't know this till we actually had the idea to start the business, but he was a home brewer. I was a uh, as I like to say, I was a marketing guy and a home drinker. He was a, an engineer and a home brewer. And the, the whole idea for our business was, you know, because I'm the type of guy that likes to try everything. I want to work every job. I want to, uh, you know, meet every girl. I want to try every class in college. Uh, I, I not really, anymore, Sarah. Not anymore. That's right. Yeah, we can <laughs> cut that one out. But <laughs> we, uh, the, the whole idea was, you know, uh, Sarah and I had actually made a, a batch of wine. You had a place in Columbus where you could make your own wine. This was eight or nine years ago. And we had heard about a place in Cleveland where you can make your own wine. It's called the Brew Kettle. And Tim and I were at an, at an event, a grad school event, where business owners were talking about their businesses. We were at Middle West Spirits. Um, have you guys talked to the Middle West Spirits guys? I don't think we, we have not. I'll, I'll make an introduction. These guys are great guys. They make Ohio liquor, you know, vodka and, and whiskey and stuff. And we were at an event at Middle West Spirits. One of the co-founders of Middle West Spirits and a few other business owners were talking. And when the event ended, uh, I, I turned to Tim and I said, have you heard of this, this place where you can brew your own beer? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, let's do that. And that was it. I mean, that was the, the, the seed was planted. Uh, we wrote a business plan that week. Two weeks later, I quit my job and graduated. And, you know, naively thinking that it would take a couple hundred grand and six months to get this thing up and running. Uh, a year and a half later, we opened. <laughs> and uh, uh, so it cost a lot more, took a lot longer, and, and it, was, uh, it was a hell of a journey. And a few months before we opened, Tim quit his job, and, and so we went full-time in it within a few months before we opened. We built the place together. 
and uh, opened as a place where customers yeah, that was the whole goal guys like me who love craft beer but want to have the actual hands-on experience of making it could come in and 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 have that experience without having to invest in the equipment and all the education um, and just be able to come in make the beer the hard parts taken care of by by us the brewery you know and then you come back take home your beer a few weeks later so I was say that that makes sense a few weeks later i was i was wondering about the process mm-hmm. there but go ahead josh you had something there maybe just a little bit more granular detail to that year and a half i think a lot of people yeah. um they hear about you know it, it, i went from an idea and then next thing you know we're up and running and then you can talk about the ups yeah. and downs throughout that process of scaling sure. but from you know like coming up with this idea and being really excited about it and then still keeping that momentum a year and a half later like yeah. what does that look like for you guys it was, yeah, it, it was and still to this day. I mean, it's been seven and a half years since we wrote that business plan. And, you know, back then, uh, you know, we want, we, we want the bank to believe in the idea to write us the, the loan. You know, they want us to have an actual, here we are asking them for money to start a business that they've never heard of. You know, you're, you're walking into a bank and they're saying, and, and I remember, I remember the guys at, at that uh, at Middle West Spirits, they said, they said, you know, don't take no for an answer. It was the 19th bank that we approached that gave us a loan, and it was the first bank that we approached that said no to us. That we then went back a few months later, and then they approved us. So basically, knowing what they wanted to look for was important. Uh, knowing the amount of cash that they wanted us to bring to the table was very important. Uh, so we ended up raising about a third of our capital to start the business from the most literal form of friends and family you can imagine. I mean, these were. Uh, one of them was a former employee of mine from Stanley Steamer. You know, one of them was Tim's dad, you know, aunts, uncles, neighbors. And uh, so we raised about a quarter million dollars of investment money without giving up any ownership in the business. We did that in a period of about eight months, got the bank on board. Um, they financed a bunch of it for us. And, and uh, you know, there's this, there's almost this stalemate of, of uh, you know, a, a triangle of, of death where nobody wants to make the first move. You know, the bank doesn't want to, doesn't want to guarantee your loan until you have a location. Uh, the, the landlord doesn't want to write you a lease until you've got money. And, and then the federal government, which is the governing body over issuing licenses to manufacture alcohol, they can't issue you a license without having a lease. You know, so we basically had to convince all three of them almost simultaneously to, uh, not necessarily, we had to convince us not to take a risk on us, but that we're not a risk. So we almost had to, had to kind of get everything lined up at the same time and, it, and all the dominoes fell at once. So we started the business in May of 2011. Uh, we found our space in, I would say, February of 2012. And we had been, you know, already uh, getting stuff together, branding, brewing. And we actually, before we opened, we were called Brew, B-R-U. And uh, this is a fun lesson in business development. <laughs> uh, we, we had a logo that we really liked. We're brew. Something is brewing was our tagline. BRU because you're the one that does the brewing. Brewed by you. Uh, which for the brew your own thing was very clever, if you ask us. And, and, uh, and then as we approached getting ready to open, uh, somebody with a very similar brew logo noticed it and they and they sued us so right before we opened we actually rebranded so we weren't even we weren't even uh open yet and we changed our name from brew which we had been from a year for a year and a half to north high brewing because we were going to be north high brewing as a brewery Mm -hmm. and brew as a brewery own 
So, um, so yeah, we, uh, uh, we got, we found the building in February of 2012. We started our, we, we signed our lease in, this is probably May of 2012 and then started construction in September because there was a lot of work, permitting work. Um, and this is our place at sixth and high, which is our, our original brewery. This is where our customers brew and this is our tap room. Okay. And so you get through that construction, the launch, what's that initial launch look like? What are some of the, you know, the beginning phases? And again, what we really like to focus on here is like challenges and initial, like, sure. what does that early first year or two look like? And where, where did you find success? Where did you mm. find how are, yeah, how are you driving customers to the door today? Right. What, is, what are those early marketing efforts look like? I think that's interesting. Well, as we were in construction, we knew that there were two other breweries that were in planning in central Ohio. And to us, that seemed like the market was going to get totally saturated very quickly. Uh, we now, the, what is there, like 30? We, we were the sixth brewery to open in central Ohio, or seventh. We were the seventh brewery to open in central Ohio, and today there's over 45. And that's, you know, that's within about a 25-mile radius, 25 to 30-mile radius of, of central Ohio. And... Um, so that that seemed like a challenge and that really kind of lit the fire to get us open as quickly as possible because we felt like our market share was going to get diluted before it was even established. So we opened. Uh, turns out there was a lot of pent up demand for for local beer and for local craft beer establishments. Remember that, you know, the, the tap rooms that were open back then were, you know, Barley's, you know, Four Strings had a little tap room. You had Rock Mill down in Lancaster. Columbus Brewing Company elevator. Fish oil. There was not a, yeah, <laughs> there was not there was not a lot going on. There were not a lot of options for craft beer enthusiasts to go and drink local, locally made craft beer. So we opened to wild fanfare and and without having to spend any money on marketing, uh, the local craft beer scene really flocked to see us. Um, today today you've really got to be unique and and come out with exciting various different kind of seasonals do fun things and and our point of differentiation was always the fact that you can come in and brew your own beer to the average craft beer aficionado that doesn't mean anything so we've really we really have had to kind of win on quality win on variety win on uh you know our, our distribution but uh but yeah so when we were in construction and and getting ready to open up it was it was it seemed like a real foot race to the starting line, you know, to Seven Sun was opening about the same time as us, and these guys are awesome. We've been open about as long as we are. They're great friends of ours, and that's kind of the that's kind of what we found too. Is as the as the craft beer scene has grown, and as all these additional breweries open up, um, it's 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 a very good community that we all work together to you know buy things together when we can get better prices on things, use each other for storage. Uh, you know, hey, we ran out of lids for our cans. Can we buy some off of you? Absolutely. Hey, we're out of this hop, or we have too much of this hop. Do you need some of this? So what initially we saw as a challenge and as uh, what was going to become an overcrowded market, we now see is, uh, you know, as this tide of craft brewing rises, we're all working together to, to make each other better. And we could probably spend, you know, multiple days on the scaling process, but I guess what I'm really curious about is over the course of the last, you know, six to seven years, what are some of the most pivotal points that kind of stick out to you? And then where did, where did the focus change to where it wasn't just coming to brew your own beer and we mm -hmm. have a location, but also we're going to focus on retail and we're going to scale that side yeah. of the business. So we opened in uh, December of 2012 and in May of 2013, 
we wholesaled our first beer. We literally took a keg, put it on a dolly, and walked it down High Street to a little tap room called House Beer. And we were so proud of ourselves, you know, because wholesale was always supposed to be maybe 5%, 10% of our total revenues. And, and we knew that we had to start kind of getting our names out there. We, had, we were very ne- well networked in the, in the local bar scene and restaurant scene because I've been in the industry for a while and, uh, and we've lived in Columbus for a long time. So uh, just getting that first beer on tap was very exciting to be able to walk in, sit down and order your own beer, see somebody else order your own beer. Uh, and then within about two months, without making any sales calls, we had established dozens of, of wholesale clients where they were coming to us, hey, we want your beer. Okay, great, we'll deliver it to them. We were self-distributing for a while. And by that was May of 2013. And by August, we had run out of capacity at our space. That's how, that's how high the demand was for local beer. All these restaurants and customers wanted a local product and there were very few options when it came to, to local suppliers. Because again, you look at like Barley's wasn't doing much. They were making great beer, but they weren't wholesaling much. You know, Elevator and Four String and Columbus Brewing Company were kind of the only guys that were actually producing and wholesaling. So we very quickly ran out of capacity and that was when it was time to make a decision of do we start saying no to wholesale customers and growth on that side of the business or do we expand? And so we went looking for another space. We decided to expand. We, uh, we found a building that's three quarters of a mile from our high street location. It's at the corner of 5th and Cleveland. Um, the unfortunate thing about the distance is that if it was within a half mile, we could actually operate under the same federal brewer's license. But because it's a quarter mile too far outside that radius, we actually own and operate totally separate federally licensed breweries. And, um, and that, so we, we got a much bigger brew house. And then we wanted to bring on another partner to, to run it right. And that's when, we, that's when we reached out to our partner, Jason, who I've been friends with for 25 years. He was senior brewmaster at Anheuser-Busch. He was with AB for 12 years, very highly trained, very highly educated brewer. And when Tim and I were actually starting the, starting the business seven years ago, we offered him the job to run our brewery. And he was like, no, 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 no. He moved to San Francisco to run Anchor Brewing Company. He was at Anchor for two years running anchor. And then when we were getting ready to expand, we said, Hey, we've got a bigger brewery here. Would you like to come back? You know, what would it take to, to bring you back to help us run it? You know, name anything but money, you know, so, <laughs> so, we, so we made him a partner and he's been with us for, for four and a half years and he's crushing it. And then what does the employee count look like today? We've got uh, 21, 22 employees throughout the state. Um, about, let's see, four of those are in sales, four are in production over at at our Cleveland Avenue location, a um, handful of bartenders and barbacks, and then we've got brewers that work over at our at our High Street location, and then the the three the three partners. And I guess what I'm curious about is, like, say I walk into you know for our listeners who've never been, like, say I walk into the the location to brew my own beer. What's that process look like? Kinda? Yeah. So well, the cool thing is when you walk into the space, even if you're not brewing your own beer. We wanted to provide an experience in the space itself. Uh, before we even found our high street location, we found an old 1800s money order window, and that piece inspired us to find an old cool building that we could restore around that piece. So that that piece that we bought was the inspiration to find an old building that is a 1917 Ford dealership. 
and everything in the building is salvaged pre-prohibition items from all over the country. We've got uh, old buildings from uh, old uh, windows and doors from old Ohio State buildings. We've got uh, the original Ohio Stadium bleachers are hanging up in there as, as sunshades. We've got old 1872 storm shutters from the old Crow Distillery down in Kentucky. Um, so we so that's kind of an experience unto itself. And then when you come into brew, uh, you're going to get, you don't have to know anything about brewing. 95, 98% of our customers have never brewed beer ever before. And really probably even never thought about it until they heard that you could do it with us. Um, we've had almost 4,000 groups come in and brew with us since we opened. And what they do is they'll come in, they'll spend three hours making any one of 30 to 40 different styles of beer that we offer. We provide all the ingredients, all the instructions. They spend about three hours making it, and then a couple weeks later, the beer is fully fermented. We transfer it into a keg. Uh, we carbonate it, and when they come back to, to bottle it or can it, it's already carbonated, it's cold, it's ready to drink. What does the process look like monetarily? Like if you're going to obviously buy a keg of your guys' beer versus yeah. I'm going to go in and create my own. So if you want to buy one of our kegs uh, and not counting the cost of the, the deposit on the keg itself, it's 180 bucks for most of our beers. That would be our IPA, Pale Ale, Hefeweizen, um, which your girlfriend likes. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah, right. Shannon loves the Very good. Shannon. I know you're out there listening. She's yep. not. She well, doesn't <laughs> listen to my podcast. <laughs> We'll send her some Hefeweizen. We're actually discontinuing the Hefeweizen as one of our core beers. Oh, she's going to be really sad. Yeah, bring her in. We'll, uh, we'll show her something she'll like a lot better because <laughs> um, we got it. We got some good stuff coming behind it. But uh, about 180 bucks to brew a keg uh, for, to buy one of our kegs of beer. If you brew your own and take it home in a keg, it's $190. So for that extra 10 bucks, you get the experience. You get the, the kind of the pride of making your own product. Yeah, that seems like a pretty good deal to me. I mean, in terms of cost and things like that. So uh, from there, let's kind of talk about what the future looks like for North High. I yep. know you talked about you guys have been expanding quite a bit, but where, what are you guys' plans? Do you ever plan on expanding outside the state, cool. outside, you know, what do you have other locations in mind? Yeah. Things like yep. that. So expansion, we, uh, about two years after we started wholesaling, we signed with a distributor called Premium Distribution, and they're craft beer only, and they're only in the state of Ohio. Uh, and as soon as we signed with them, they took us statewide. So that's, you can find us all over the state, anywhere that you can find. They also distribute Bells and Founders and Abita, uh, you know, some of the biggest, best craft breweries out there in the country. And so you'll find us all throughout the state of Ohio. No real desire to leave the state. The growth goals that we have can be fulfilled within the state of Ohio. Um, the majority of growth in the craft beer industry right now is happening at the local and regional level. And as soon as we kind of cross state lines, we've lost that, that kind of local feel. So, um, so we want to stay within the state of Ohio. Uh, we're going to keep growing, but uh, we're also going to open within the next six months. We're opening two more locations. We're opening one in downtown Columbus, like very central downtown. We can't release the location yet, but we're like right in the middle of downtown. And then we're opening uh, something we have discussed publicly is we're opening a small brewery in Marion, Ohio, downtown Marion, <laughs> which is uh, the it's most common location. Yeah. Right? The most common question we get after that is why Marion? And uh, right. answer to that is it was, you know, Marion is a lot like Delaware was 20 years ago. It's in the middle of a revitalization. Um, some friends of ours that own Amato's wood-fired pizza in Delaware bought a building in downtown Marion. It's bigger than they need, so we're actually moving in with them to do a sort of joint venture partnership with a very well-established restaurant brand 
will be the beer attraction and uh, it's going to be a fun partnership. We're in construction now and we're hoping to open it this, this fall. It's really exciting. Any, any uh, plans to go outside into like Cleveland or Cincinnati, any of the major cities in Ohio? Cleveland's our number two market in the state. Uh, it's, a, it's our number one growth market right now. We, we, um, we sell very well up there. Dayton per capita is doing really well for us. So we're, we're in all the major cities and we're, we're in really every city in the state. But, uh, but yeah, Dayton does really well for us. Per capita, they drink a lot. Would you guys ever want to have a brick and mortar in any of those? Places? Oh, in terms of uh, retail locations, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we uh, uh, by the end of the year we'll have four locations, and I would I would anticipate within two years we'll have six or seven, because we like Cincinnati a lot as a retail potential, mm-hmm. Cleveland, and also Dayton, and then Toledo would be after that. Yeah, and one of my questions I have is centered around so. I read a lot of the Wall Street Journal, a couple mm. other things like that. They've been talking recently about the shift towards more spirits, yep. liquors, things like that in American drinking habits. Yep. So I'm curious because it's mostly focused around large, like AB you know, yep. and Coors and some of those bigger brands. Have, have you seen that sort of type of effect? In, Losing market share yeah, to spirits. Right. So what they're actually, uh, the specific market they're talking about is the millennial market. So mm. the millennial you guys are the ones that are <laughs> that are <laughs> shifting toward the the spirits, and this is good. And it's actually not bad news for us. The biggest losers in this are Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. uh, Miller Coors, and uh, you know the craft beer market is continuing to grow. The macro beer market has shrunk significantly over the past 10, 12 years, and you know, but the craft beer growth is slowing mainly because of uh, you know changing in, in what we call share of throat you know so drinking liquor or wine instead of instead of beer but uh but as i mentioned you know the local and regional craft breweries are continuing to outpace the growth as a whole of the industry so mm-hmm. for us you know we sell a lot of bourbon at our bar and we we absolutely support the growth and and the changing tastes of of our of our own customers mm-hmm. And, you know, if we continue to make great beer, we open at the right time. We've really kind of got the wind at our backs. J- having Jason on board as, as our brewmaster and scooping up all kinds of awards all over the place, including our Pale Ale, which won mm-hmm. World Beer Cup Silver Medal, which we're very excited about. And, and uh, so, yeah, we figured keep doing it right, offer the customers what they want, offer them a, you know, very, very diverse product uh, with some, with some nice-looking packaging. Uh, we'll we'll let uh, we'll let you drink your bourbon. <laughs> I blame the millennials. I get it. It's, it's every, everybody wants to blame the millennials. I'm for thanking the millennials, right? <laughs> and then, what about at a personal level? I mean, do you have anything that you're really focused on outside of the company that you like to do for fun? Oh something? yeah, yeah. So, you know, when when we started this company, Tim, Jason, and I, none of us had any kids. Today, uh, Tim's got a four year old and a two year old boy. Jason's got a four-year-old girl and a, a two-year-old boy. I've got an almost four-year-old boy and a two-year-old boy. So, so we're all very passionate about our families. Uh, one of the best things about the growth of the business and the hiring of additional employees has been to be able to spend more time with our kids. So we're all very, very uh, passionate about our families. Um, me personally, I love, I love uh, anything with two wheels. I've got a uh, scooter that I love riding all over the city of Columbus. Scooters are the best. You can park them anywhere. They get very good gas mileage. You can park them literally on the sidewalk. 
and uh, and then I have a I have a motorcycle that I race up in Mid Ohio to really get the stress out, and um, I've got a dog. No. <laughs> I bought a 110-year-old house in Clintonville that we completely gutted and rebuilt floor by floor. So, um, yeah, I'm a really, like, physical guy. I like to like to kind of get it out. Um, used to run a lot and then tore my ACL. But, uh, yeah, it's not, not all just drinking beer. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it. So uh, I think it's probably a good place to pivot towards our last question yeah. of the show, Gavin. And it centers around the theme of Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And mm. without telling you too much about what Josh and I think about the phrase, uh, what do you think of when you hear it, and how does it apply to your life? Well, it applies very, very aptly to the last seven years of my life. I can tell you that I have not been comfortable uh, in a lot of ways for the last seven years because the business has taken so many turns. You know, we've we've pivoted our business from – Focusing on the brew on premise, which we thought was going to be the core of what we do, uh, and we thought that 10% of our maximum 10% of our revenues would be would be wholesale. You know, the reality of it is in 2018, about 70% of our total revenue will be wholesale. So that's uncomfortable. You know, anytime you confront a situation where you have to change your change your way of doing things and your comfort level and your and your happy spot to a to totally new territory and especially in this industry where new territory is extremely expensive and competitive um i i, I would say that i am i am uh, the very definition of living uncomfortably <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, not to say that that's a bad thing i don't think that uncomfortably is I, I think that's part of the reason that led me to start this business was that hunger for new experiences you know, and finding a, a partner in Tim who can really complement uh, uh, my areas of, of, you know, admittedly my areas of weakness and need, and uh, and, and being able to take those the, the, an uncomfortable situation and turn it into a profitable one. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I'd say live uncomfortably. I like that a lot. We need to make some T-shirts. Yeah, well, we uh, we've got some. Yeah, I think we're running low on them. But Con we might have Conquering to get a new Columbus and North High well, Brewing Conquering, team up. Yeah, yes, so let's. Like uh, a, I'll, I'll co-op those with you. I like that right, a lot. Let's do it. And uh, Gavin, thanks a lot for joining <laughs> Thank us. Thank you. Guys. We had a lot of fun. Thanks for the beer. Thank it you was guys. delicious. If uh, I do say so myself, I recommend the grapefruit walleye, and I'm about to try this pale ale. So, Conquerors, <laughs> thanks a lot. Black for out in. after this interview, right in this conference room. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do the editing of the podcast. So, like, if you guys notice some some problems with the edits. Uh, it's because <laughs> Gavin got me drunk. That's right. So You're thanks welcome. a lot for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. Our next sponsor you might be slightly familiar with. You may recall a previous Conquering Columbus episode we did, episode number 26. We interviewed Stuart Crane, who bootstrapped his healthware software business to an eventual $43 million exit in 2013. Well, he's back at it with a new startup called Voice Metrics, based here in Columbus, Ohio. 
Stewart's new company got going last fall, and they've landed a number of customers, including Crosschecks, which is one of Columbus's high-flying VC-backed companies. Voice Metrics is a voice application available for Alexa, Google Assistant, and Siri that allows businesses to get their KPIs, metrics, and any business information just by asking. To give you an example of how this works, here's what it sounds like. Open Voice Metrics. Good morning, Robert. Our sales yesterday was $17,500, and we had 24 new signups. Website traffic is up 13%, and we are 82% to our monthly revenue goal. Have a great day. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.